Welcome back, everybody, to the Listen In Podcast with Jake and Sean. We are coming at you on a Friday. We don't normally do that. We don't. We moved schedules around a little bit to accommodate certain things. Um, and here we are on Friday. Here we are on Friday. Uh, so, Jake, we we have an interesting show planned here. A lot I, of think, different a- I think we have lots it. of different things here. Quick, quick little preview here. We're going to talk about some new albums. We got a new Paul McCartney, new Spiritualized, new... How do you pronounce this, Jake? Yves Tumor? I, I think it's Eves. Eves Tumor. Eves Tumor. I don't, and I'm not even confident about Tumor because I, I assume... Tumor. It, yeah, I, I think it's Eves, Eves because Tumor. Like, you know, like Eves Saint Laurent? Yeah. I think that's how you pronounce okay. that word, okay. I don't, but I don't know. Good to know. Safe um, in the hands of love. Yes. And then we have a discussion about Pitchfork's new list, 200 best albums of the 80s. Jake and I discussed the differences from their older list and kind of some of the new additions to this list. And then we're actually going to give you our top 10 80s albums. A weird decade, Jake, the 80s. We'll get into that more. But Super weird. And it's honestly, dude, like just full disclosure, it's it's a decade where when someone says like, oh, what are your like 10 favorite albums from that decade? You're scraping 20, the barrel. I scrape the barrel and I get like really nervous. I won't be Yeah, me to too. Me them. too. And it took me until like a few years ago to have a solid 10. Yeah, because what used to happen is like the bottom would be like, like I don't even They'd be like albums I didn't, didn't even really like, you know? Right, right. That might, like, <laughs> like, dude, to be honest, some of my honorable mentions I don't love. <laughs> okay, yeah. So there you go. Uh, then we have a Convince Me from Jake yeah. about uh, the Rolling Stones, I see. That's yeah. going to be interesting. Yeah, let's we'll, we'll wait uh, on and that. And then we're going to discuss seeing Interpol live in 2018. We actually have a packed show. We do. We do. So let's get right let's, into uh, it. Let's fly through some of these new albums, Jake. I don't have a ton to say about any of them necessarily. Okay, I have a few Let's thoughts. start with Paul McCartney, though. Egypt so, Station. I, I got to say, man, like this, this McCartney album, I've ended up listening to it more than I thought I would. I've listened okay. like four times. And to be honest, man, it's because my perspective on Paul has become like, it's just like kind of a miracle. He's still alive. He's still in such good health. Yeah. He's still making music. So like, this is a long album. It's about an hour, 16 tracks. It's not perfect by any stretch. Mm-hmm. There's some there's some flubs on here. But that's you take the good with the bad with Paul because there's some really high points, man. Like, I think that um, the, the song Happy With You is one of my favorites of his. It actually reminds me... Of kind of like Paul's take on the way John would have written a confessional song. Yeah. Because the lyrics start out with him like, I used to drink too much. I used to get stoned. I used to lie to my doctor, but these days I don't. Right. I really like that. It's well, yeah, one that's... of my favorite of his like lyrics on there. Yeah. Because Paul has a tendency, and I think you can turn some people off depending on your mood, of kind of, he's prone to f- to flights of fancy. Oh, yeah. And like little stories, and like as John and George called them, little granny tales <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> granny songs. That song's good. Fuck you. That's an amazing song. It's so good, man. That, that's it. That is up there with the best pop songs of this year. It's so cool. That could slip in right after like Ariana Grande and before Taylor Swift on Top Forty Radio, and you wouldn't skip a beat. And I was reading he was working with some big name producer. I forget the guy's name. Timbaland. Yes. And he was really frust- was it? No. Oh, I thought you knew. No. Oh, no. I was just like, who's a who's like a cliched big producer? I Timbaland. It, I think it's Ryan something. Ryan Tedder. Okay. Um, and so he was, I guess, really frustrating to work with, and that's what made Paul change the lyric to like from like I'm just loving you or something like that to I just want to fuck you. Wow. Which is still crazy to me that he has a song that's like this. I, that, I love it. Really love quick, because I know we're moving through them fast. Um, I don't know. I think is a really good song. 
it's the first track. It's like it this is good. dark piano yeah. thing. And it turns into a nice little groove. I like the last two songs on the here a lot. The fir- last the two proper songs, uh, despite repeated warnings, and then the hunt you down naked sea link medley. A kind of a clear Trump song. Um, the first one, despite repeated yeah, warnings. yeah, He's some just, some heavy guitars on there. I mean, it's just all about like despite repeated warnings, like the captain's not listening to us. He's yeah. gonna fuck us all over, mm. and we've got to stop him. Yikes! Yeah, that's like what it's all mm. about. Um, I also, really quick, another highlight for me is Hand in Hand. That is like, like the, whenever Paul gets small on this album, I really like it. Like a little bit of acoustic yeah, guitar. Fuck you, I, an, a, I think it's ex, not an example of that. But Hand in Hand and Happy With You are both examples. Hand in Hand has this cool like pen flute thing. Yeah. It's cool. So anyways. Um, it's good. It's like, you know. It's enjoyable, dude. It's yeah. Paul fucking McCartney. Right. And really quick, like what I've also enjoyed about the, the fact that he's back at all is that he is doing, like, a lot of press. Uh, yeah. And, like, for me, like, every album cycle, it just comes with a few new anecdotes I can add to Dude, the wheelhouse. like of, the one that him and John jerked off together. Like, with a bunch of guys. Yeah, like, whoa. They would turn, like, like that's surprisingly candid. Yeah. I feel like he's getting more that way. Oh, I think the longer he's alive, the more of these stories will come out. Because he's, he's like, you know, whatever. He's 76. It doesn't yeah. matter. And it's like, I'm fucking Paul. Yeah. Like, no one's going to question me. No. He did that. He also did... Mark Maron's podcast, which is really cool. And he also did this awesome... So that was from the interview with GQ, that quote about mm. masturbating that you just referenced. But then he did a video with them. It's 27 minutes long. It's just him talking about like a lot of his best songs. Oh, wow. It's awesome. It's him breaking Ooh. them down. And he's the man, dude. He's in like his house. And he has this like nice, crisp white shirt on with the sleeves rolled it has like a little bit of like the the, the stripe yep. the blue and white yep. like what's yep. that called like the the really thin stripe um pinstripe yeah pinstripe and he just looks like dapper as fuck yeah. he's like still so thin and shit and he's just telling all these stories about all these songs that's like my favorite thing about him is he's so charitable with that shit yeah, he's just, just like he's willing to give it up definitely, more, definitely. some people are more you know kinda... eh, close to the vest absolutely yeah. like so, I mean, Ringo's not out here like you know, no, but like someone like a David Bowie, for example, he'd be cagey about it. You know what yes. I mean? Like he wouldn't. Yeah. Paul just fucking tell you, right? That's a great. Like point. He's talking about a song. He's like, yeah, it's about this. We wrote it doing that, and that's right. you know, that's right? That. Yeah, that's a great. And you can like trust his answer too. Yeah, man. you're like, oh, he's shooting me straight here. Well, dude, he says not all of it. There's a couple points where he says, ex- word for word, almost quotes that he said in an anthology. Yeah, he right? feels a little rehearsed sometimes, which is a knock. Yeah. Because he said that thing about, he's like, you know, the thing I'm happy about is that, you know, the Beatles are sort of our message was never like, go tell, fuck them, tell them to sod yeah. off. It was about peace and happiness yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, anyways, it's been cool to have, to have Paul doing that stuff. It is. Very, very cool. And then, Jake, these next two albums that we had come out, uh, Spiritualized, uh, it's called And Nothing Hurt. Yeah. And then we had uh, Eve's Tumor. Yeah. Uh, tumor, whatever. Safe in the Hands of Love. So, these both got good reviews coming into last week. It was kind of a quiet week, so I was like, yeah, I'll check these out. Um, one I like better than the other, Jake. I actually like Safe in the Hands of Love more than that Spiritualized album. It was fine, Spiritualized. I've just never listened before. I don't have the emotional attachment. It's probably not the best idea to come in and listen to this Spiritualized album like years and years into the career. That's so fair. Not, a fa- not a fair assessment. I'm not going to say like anything really about it. Uh, but Safe in the Hands of Love, I really like. It's like kind of experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, but at the same time being sort of 
a pop album too. There's there's elements of pop. A lot of sure. different sounds here. Um, got a nine point one on Pitchfork. The first one of the year. Yeah. Um, first nine plus, I should say. The song Noid on here is awesome. The first several tracks are really like highlights for me. There's like it gets to it has a European sun effect. If you're if you're familiar with the Velvet Underground and Nico, where the last track is like straight up fucking noise on this album. Yeah. It's a little much, but I've I've listened to it a handful of times, and it it is like this really interesting like blend of noise and like you said a little bit of pop and some electronic and you know sort of experimental shit. Yep. I gotta say, man, like I've listened twice now to the Spiritualized album. I, I'm digging it. I am. Nice. I am. I I think, and I've never like gotten into Spiritualized before. I didn't realize until today that they have some albums that are like considered. Classics, yeah, like I timeless know. classics. I know. I didn't know that, dude. Like that that album. Uh, um, oh, it's the it, it's like it has a black cover. I'm gonna forget the name. It has a ten on Pitchfork. Uh, is it Laser Guided Melodies? No. Or is it Pure Phase? Neither. Ladies it, and gentlemen, we are floating in space. That one. Yeah. That yeah. one. There's a lot of black covers. Yeah, it's that one. Um, okay. So I mean, I listen. 1997. To this, yeah, I Pitchfork's 47 songs, three hours. I will say. Cool. No, no, but the. Half of that is like extras. oh 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 I got you okay um, I was looking, <laughs> three hours I was looking earlier uh, but I so I you have to kind of admit though that that Pitchfork dude they have a disproportionate amount of of late nineties tens like that's their that, thing that's their yes, wheelhouse that's a great point that's when they were like trying to make a point and they've like overcorrected for that now by just not giving any yeah I the thing is within nothing hurt I feel like I can't pull out tracks yet I do think this is kind of a cool combo of like it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the war on drugs in some ways Wilco a bit yeah you mentioned Wilco which I thought was a great comparison um, doing sort of like more modern takes on 60s and 70s types of sounds yeah, yeah. I think the first song of Perfect Miracle is nice and melodic I I've been enjoying uh, this. This I'm going to keep returning to it. So if you had to pick one, Jake, spiritualized or uh, Eve's tumor, which uh, one are you saying you like more right now? It depends on my mood. I think if you're yeah. asking what I want to listen to right this second, it actually would be the spiritualized okay. album. Just because I've dug into it less. I think I've listened to Eve's tumor four times. Okay. And I'm actually like at the point with spiritualized where I'm like, ooh, there's, maybe there's something here sure, that I, like, I can yeah. kind of dig into some more. I like that. That's that's always a nice feeling. I have that going right now with that Alien Boy album. Mm. I'm like, ooh, I loved the first two tracks and I was just kind of listening to those. It's always helpful. But then I let it go more and I was like, ooh, yeah, you know what? This is all good. And I had a nice listen to it today, yeah. Jake. Nice. Uh, so speaking of Pitchfork, let's get into our larger discussion here wow. about Pitchfork's 200 best albums of the 80s that they just released. Um, it's interesting, Jake. I, I think the, the conversation on Twitter, among music Twitter and critics, has been it's very interesting to see how the older list that came out in 2002 has changed to be updated in 2018 in what is now considered the, the, the 80s canon. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think Pitchfork has been doing a lot of this with each of their decade lists they've been coming out with over the past couple years. 60s, they did. They did the 70s. I think they're working their way all the way up. And they're slightly rewriting, like, history here in a way. They're well, revising their history, I think. Y yes. Because it's a new era of Pitchfork writers. Yes, that's a... That's a great point. And that's kind of where I wanted to start the discussion is like, what do you think is the biggest factor in why this canon is different now than it was 16 years ago? So uh, in looking at the list right now, really quick, off the top, and this this leads into my reason, 
the the 2002 list numbers one through four were Sonic Youth, Talking Heads, BC Boys, Pixies, REM at five, and then the Smiths. So this top ten, just looking at it, feels like what um like the indie person's indie person like cliched 80s best album list would look like yeah is this then the pixies are represented again tom waits joy division so and then public enemies at nine so here's the thing um of that top 10 not one woman is represented unless you count kim deal in the pixies right also very few black people or like people of color are represented you look at the modern list and pitchfork has sort of modernized and i think there's you know and this is not cynical i'm not saying this from a cynical place i think it's important um, but I think there's uh, people are are trying to say like okay like let's get like try to appreciate more yes what black people and and non really non white yes. people and what women were doing you look at the top five now and it's Prince at number one he yep. was at number twelve last time Michael yep. Jackson at two all the way down at twenty seven last yeah. time uh, with with Thriller NWA was straight out of Compton and then Kate Bush Kate at Bush. four with Hounds of I, Love I couldn't believe Hounds of Love was only ninety two uh, yeah in the, on that other list like. That seems to be like canon, as like had already been canonized in a now, way. Now, did you see the video? I, I always have this feeling with Pitchfork, and, and to a certain degree, all publications that they kind of try to preempt or kind of give you an appetizer for things that yeah. are coming, or, or sort of condition your brain to be thinking that. Did you notice that they did? They've been doing these videos with mostly rappers talking about songs that are influential to them, and they had Big Boy talking about um, running up that hill. Oh, really? Yeah, I wow. didn't watch all of it, but I watched a little of it, and it was cool. That's it was so like, cool. dude, the beat in that song is yeah. fucking incredible. Oh, that, we got to listen to that later. Yeah, we do. That album's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think... What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, you pretty much nailed it, is that Pitchfork is saying, well, as you can see by our 2002 list, we really highlighted these like white male... Bands. Heroes, you know, yeah. of the 80s that have always been talked about. Let's give some more attention to those other people who have never had the attention on lists like this. And maybe let's reassess some of these other ones through the lens of 2018. Like, for example, The Queen is Dead. No denying that's an amazing album. Uh, it was at six in the 2002 list. Knocked down to 13. The only reason I can see is, like, well, Morrissey's, like, a dick. Yeah, so, like, a genuinely bad person. Yeah, so... It actually speaks to how strong that album is that it was still number 13. But right. I think putting that album out of the top 10 is like sending a statement. It it's is like this is a different kind of list. Also, at the same time, like part, uh, it's almost like part of me wants to view this new list as a reaction to the old one. Yeah. Also, they, they I think they can kind of stand on their own because like I wouldn't look at this as a revision. In my mind, like this is a different era of Pitchfork. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're standing for different things. Yeah. Like Pitchfork now is a legacy music publication. Right. It's Pitch, true. Pitchfork yeah. then was trying to make a name and That's they were true. trying to be like this like sort of the spin right. of the 2000s and the late 90s and trying to say like what can we drudge up from the underground. You notice yep. a lot of stuff like Janet Jackson and Michael Jackson yeah. being in the top 10. Dude, this Janet Jackson album wasn't even mentioned on the previous list. It's and neither eight. was this this Madonna album, her self-titled. Right, dude. Wasn't. And, yeah. That's a great that's a great point and is it because the people now writing for Pitchfork, their their experience of the '80s was more of like these pop songs, or is it you know, is it their experience that's shining through here of listening to this that they maybe they have a more diverse cast of characters writing for them? Is that also what they're trying to say? It could be that. It could also be people who 
are younger writers and who weren't there for a lot of these and who weren't actively exploring the underground in the 80s. That's a great point. Who weren't into indie. That's a great point. You know what I mean? And like, and they're like, well, you know, my older brother had Thriller and I loved listening to Thrill. It's gonna, it's like how I, I feel like Green Day American Idiot is getting us. a bit of a like critical resurrection yep. as time goes by than it did at the time. Exactly. And I think that there's like a bunch of factors going on with the list and, and those all are sort of a part of it. Yeah. Um I think it's a cool list. I do too. I mean so I'm glad I'm glad they're doing this. I think it's helpful to reassess that conversation and it speaks to the fact that music is kind of fluid and you're gonna feel different ways about it at different times. And right now, like this list makes more sense than maybe the other one. Here's and that's thing, fine. Here's the thing though, man. I mean, to like to kind of go off what I was saying before about Pitchfork becoming more the mainstream and more the sort of music publication. Um, if you took these two lists we're looking at and whited out Pitchfork and put Rolling Stone on the 2018 list, I would believe you. Um, I would believe you. I would too, actually. Purple Rain. That's thriller. not a good sign for Pitchfork. Here's the thing, though. Like, it depends on your perspective because it's like, do the so like does Daydream Nation, which still stayed on the list, it ended up down at seven. Yeah. But it was number one in 2002. Right. Does Daydream Nation mean as much to as many people as Purple Rain and Thriller? Fuck no. Not even close. Absolutely And those not. two albums are classics. Yeah, that's a Whether great Whether you love them or not, people at Pitchfork, or even us, and I'm not that high on either of them. Yeah. Like, they don't really... And honestly, Daydream Nation doesn't either. But you could use any of those as an example. Right. Like, that's, a, that's a really great point. And I just feel like, like it's sort of a matter of your perspective on it. Yeah. And I think also... You know, look at what has happened since the 2002 list. Like, Michael Jackson's dead. Prince is dead. Uh -huh. Like, uh -huh. those guys dying elevates you by default to, you know, canon status. I gotta say, like, there are elements... The one I'm most surprised by is the Kate Bush thing. But, like, if you look at the old, early 2000s Pitchfork lists, they made, they, they made an active point to basically make a point with their rankings. Like a great example is where they'd always rank um, like Led Zeppelin albums or like they, they'd be low. And yes. they wouldn't rank that many on like right. the 70s. Right. Michael Jackson, Thriller being at 27 is a great example for the 2002 list. They're like, we're going to make a point. Like this isn't as, as important as people think. Yeah. This isn't as big a deal as people yeah. think. Like you, you you like this, you should listen to the fucking Tom Waits, dude. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay. And that has become a cliched like caricature is the like snobby indie dude who's like oh like pop music is is stupid yeah you know like and i think there's a correction the other way and we talk a lot about poptimism being a thing yeah. that fucking buzzword um, but that has an influence it does absolutely and i think you're always just in a state of like going back and forth like in a few years we'll we'll correct the other way again and we'll be like pop music has no value you know, right. but again, I think maybe that's just a more evolved way of thinking that, like, no, it's just all music, so fuck off. Well, like, if you look at any band, I think from like a band that was once important or an artist that was once important, look at how they're looked at in their time, 10 years later, 20 years later, yeah. 30. You, I think you see different phases of like their importance. Yes. And ultimately, the through line is like it's a it's about this important. It's always going to come back to the the median. To the yeah, the mean yeah, the or median, median or whatever you want to. Um, the other thing that I wanted to to bring up about reasons why is like everyone at this point now knows on any of these lists what 
the staple people are. Like, you're always going to know, like, Fleetwood Mac or Zeppelin or the Beatles or, like, these massive... Everyone's heard of those albums. Yeah. This is an opportunity to introduce or reintroduce some albums that were probably popular for the time but have not like maintained that popularity and you can go back and discover some of these like dude craftwork like computer world like i've listened to that but that's only because like someone told me to it's on these lists and it now it's like in the top 20 here like that means a lot i gotta say you know what starts being interesting about particularly 80s lists and it like it, it's a gradual thing from 60s 70s up to 80s is there's so many more fucking artists yeah yeah. Like it, and it makes sense because in the '60s, like it was a harder road to get to like yep. fame and to be actually noticed, and the yep. way people thought about music was different. By the '70s, it was maybe changing, especially by the late '70s. Yep. You get to the '80s, and and there's like, dude, there's some like Tom Waits is on this list. XTC, The Fall, like The yeah. Heat, Brian Eno and David Byrne, The Jesus and Mary Chain, Gang of Four, like that, and that's on the 2002 list. But still, right. like you start to see these names that are like. These aren't bands that are famous, really, no. or that were meant to be totally famous. Exactly, and it's kind of the opposite with those '60s lists, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. You get the Beatles, it's, you get Bob it's, Dylan. It's like, oh, everyone knew these people, you know. I, I, let me ask you this: I, yeah. I, I want to ask about a couple specific artists. H- have you ever tried with Tom Waits? I have not. I haven't. I do. I have had Rain Dogs in my list of albums to listen to for the better part of a year, um, and I have not wanted to do it i want to say that i maybe did listen to rain dogs once okay and i didn't go back to it you know the thing is i'm like you know i feel like i've gotten my fill of gravelly voiced folk singers eccentric singer songwriter with like other people tom waits does have one of the all-time coolest quotes about music i've ever heard though where you someone was asking him like what genre of music do you like the most and he was like a transistor radio in a building across the street (laughs) He's like, that's yeah. the genre of music I like the most. I'm like, damn, dude, that's really interesting. Like, just whatever music's on somewhere yeah, else. That's awesome. It's like what he was trying to channel. That's really cool. Um, also, Joy Division. What, um, where are you at with Joy Division, man? Because I, I personally think they're overrated. Uh, I think that um, the first album cover is one of the best album covers of all time. It's so cool. I want to like that album more just so I can like get a t-shirt with that and not be like a poser. Yeah. Um but I think they're overrated. I've I've been meaning again to listen to Closer for years now and haven't. So I'm trying to remember I think I did once. I've okay. definitely listened yeah. to Unknown is it Unknown Pleasures? Yes, Unknown Pleasures. I've listened to that a couple times. It's none of it has ever totally resonated with me, man. I kind of forced myself to listen to it a lot, yeah, and finally, finally started to break through a little bit. But even that wasn't enough to like keep me. I was like, I sort of get it more now, but I still don't love this. Are they the sort of the epitome of a you had to be there for it type of deal? I, I, I think so. I really do. Although they're pretty fetishized now, even yeah. But how much of that has to do with like the These fact that Ian Curtis, you know, died and the the awesome album cover and i don't know who knows they are but um what was your other one it was that was that it um well what i wanted to ask you about also is like i don't know who Sade is i don't either on the new list i've heard of Sade, but number 10 this album diamond life it was a non-appearance on the 2002 list also uh i couldn't tell you like how a janet jackson song goes 
Uh, yeah, I had this conversation with somebody uh, a few months ago. I was like, yeah, I don't know like any Janet Jackson. That's songs. just an admission. It's, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I just don't. I. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's what I don't saying. know. And maybe that's why we need this list, right? Dude, they, like this, that, maybe that's yeah. It's it's value here. Yeah. It's like you know, she was this massive star. Yeah, and here we are, still like is. Yeah, dude, she looks a lot like Michael. Holy shit! Oh my god, yeah. I yeah. just looked, picked up her Spotify picture here, dude. It looks like post plastic surgery Michael. Yeah, man. Not the Jacksons are upsetting to me. They, me too, and that's one of the reasons why I've never sought her music out because I'm like, that's all weird. It never totally goes away from me the feeling no. of how weird I feel listening no, to no, the and I don't want that. I don't want that. Let me ask you this, Jake. Yep. Um, for us, and then, and we'll get into our top ten right after this. Uh, for us, I think the '80s is tough. And why do you think that is? Um, We've never like, for example, I was going through like my like top 300 albums of all time list that's yeah. like kind of ordered chronologically of when I got into them it took me a really long time before I got into like any quality 80s album yeah it's hard like a long time it, it's it's tough i think it has something to do with for so many of these albums like the really big ones the production is, it's just too much. Yeah. I think in the 80s, there was this sense like we perfected music, man. Right. We figured it out. It's the fucking future. Right. And like music always is going to sound like this. Snare yeah. drums sound like you're hitting them in a wind tunnel. Dude. Right, right. And like that's just the bottom line. And bass has this like hugely echoey, slappy yeah. sound. And like that's just how rock is going to sound. And like, hmm. it's and the, rock will never go away. It'll always be a big money maker. And it's the era of pop. And also, like, Joy Division is is a great example of this. And and honestly, dude, most of the albums like that I've listened to by bands like that is they were important for what they meant. These these indie bands um, of that era, but like, I, they usually when I listen don't resonate with me as much yes, as I'd like to. That, I'd I like think them to. I think you hit the nail on the head. The eighties is a breeding ground for bands who were important for their time. Because everything in the 80s has, like, even if it's really straightforward, has this air of, like, experimentation going on with it. Yep. Even, like, fucking U2 songs, that's really different than what the popular rock songs in the 70s were doing. So different. You know? Yeah. And, like, same, same with, like, R.E.M. as well. You know, that's so, that's... Where are they on this list, by the way? U2. Uh, the only one that showed up was uh, Joshua Tree. It was pretty low. It was maybe in like the 50s, 60s, something like that. That, that was a statement. Yeah. And it, it looks like both lists from yeah. based on what I'm looking at here. Um, I'm just looking at the top Never a lot of love for you two from Pitchfork. Pitchfork. No. Yeah. Uh, but that I, I think the 80s were like, we're just going to try shit now. And we're like branch out. And that has carried on through the 90s and today. Yeah. Uh, but again, because so much of that stuff was introduced in the eighties, I feel like revolutionary for its time, but now we're kind of used to it and it doesn't have the same impact to go back. I think that is, that's always been my problem. Yeah. And it's, I think it's like a lot of the, the sort of underground music of the eighties that meant so much to people meant something to them because it was like part of a culture they were part of. Yes, exactly. Which is not how I've ever felt about music, and it's like, or about most music. Like I've never felt like I'm part of a scene, or like, oh, I'm really like. Right. You picture people from the '80s. It's like I think of like 
It's such a cliche, dude. In eighties movies, like movies set in the eighties, like think of Perks of being the wall, of being a wallflower, and it's like, oh, we listen to like fucking the uh, the Cure and and the Smiths. And well, I, I think because we have feelings, man. I think like, you were able to do that in the eighties because it was pre-internet. You were desperate for it. You were just like, I'm gonna make this part of my personality because it's something to do. Exactly. It's like I can be a nerd about finding all of these like singles and b-sides and things like that and just make this my thing now it's like if you only are doing that you're limiting yourself when it was way harder to come by yes so exactly. it was, it was, it was, it was it, like a it hobby kind of meant more yeah it was exactly like, i mean like, yeah. not like i mean we take music like a hobby but it's like it's a music was a hobby in the 80s like collecting fucking stamps was yeah would right, be at any era right right like now it's like dude we can just roll up and like we have Spotify. Yeah. I can listen to an album anytime, easy for 10 bucks a month, dude. Yeah. And I can just like, I can learn about every album yep. ever. I can try it out if I want. Yep. It wasn't the same in the 80s. Right. And it was like, there was all this legacy pop and rock. Yep. And there was like people trying new things. But in it the didn't feel like so much that you couldn't kind of become an expert in all of it. In, in like, because pop music really didn't start to like the 60s. You know, you could dabble in the 50s and be like, okay, I understand what happened there. I understand like pop the birth way of that rock we and think roll. Of it. Yeah. But I think if you really were like, I'm going to start in 1960 and kind of work my way through and listen to everything that was deemed essential, you, if you're growing up in the 80s, it's like you can do that. You basically have two decades of pop music to like yeah. familiarize yourself with. And then you just live in this time where people are doing weird wild stuff you know is there any other medium not to get way too off the rails but really quick is it like movies tv like i don't know any other medium that has as marked a change from like so for music say it's like from the 40s to the 60s 1945 1946 to 1966 think of how different music was I, I'm trying to think of another jump. Um, like, I guess t- t- TV is pretty radically different than it was even at the start of this century. That is, so is true. That's the, the biggest jump we've seen, I think, is the last 30 years in TV. Other than that, that 20, 25 years. That's true. Time. I mean, if you're going to give yeah. it, yeah, if, if you give it a 30 Movies years. have pretty much stayed the same. Like, yeah, like DVDs and shit like that and streaming, much. but like... Yeah. The way and the way people think about TV now is so different than it was. So different, yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah, maybe TV the most. Actually. Yeah, it could you be. You could argue it could, if you're taking it on aggregate, like how TV wasn't a thing until you know, or, or wasn't looked at as a popular thing until like what the fifties, like yeah, and even like then, everyone has a TV and like you watch TV. Even in the fifties, I think TV was kind of more of a novelty. Right, still. so like the sixties, then the sixties, I think, is when it turned into like it's truly a thing. If you take movies, TV, and music where they were in nineteen sixty and compare them with where they are now, what's the biggest change? I think it is TV. That's fair. Here's what I'll say though. Maybe take music 1960 to music 1970. That's massive. Like that's that's oh, maybe yeah. that's maybe bigger yeah. than anything. like over a ten year. I think what I'm really speaking to is like the amount music shifted right in like ten years in such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really was point. the 60s. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, Very interesting stuff. So now, Sean, which of these albums? Um, on this list, or otherwise, because I actually didn't totally keep to the list. Yeah. Um, from the 80s, they're considered classics. Have you been meaning to get to that you, like, haven't? Yeah, I mentioned a couple. That Tom Waits one, uh, Rain Dogs, I've been meaning to. Uh, Closer, Closer by uh, 
the fucking joy division there. And uh, this one, though, is actually one that I think I would really like and get into. Uh, Minutemen, double nickels on the dime. This has been on like every 80s list that I've seen um, and has been name dropped by bands such as The National, who I love as being an influence among others. So uh, for that reason, I think I, I would really like to check out Double Nickels on the Dime. And Jake, it kind of does what I think more artists are willing to do now, which is like stack an album with just a bunch of shorter songs yeah. and throw out a bunch of ideas. That's what I understand that album kind of does. I don't, I don't know like in practice, but that's kind of what I get. So I think that would be interesting to, to see. That sounds awesome. Um, and I, I, that's on my list too. The Minutemen in general. Um, looking at the lists, like one uh, I've always sort of wanted to try with, or I, I did try once, was Eric B. and Rakim, Paid in Fall. I had an agreement with one of my roommates in college that he'd listened to like five classic rock, like like mm -hmm. all-time classic albums. I do it with rap. Neither of us got that far. Yeah. Um, this was one of the ones I did listen to, and it was cool, and I've, I've meant to go back to it. Um also looking at, yeah, Tom Waits is one that stands out. I have also always, based on the name, been interested in Je the Jesus and Mary chain. Me too. I tried I really Psycho, to to Psycho Candy. Yeah. I tried Psycho Candy once and I honestly couldn't even tell you how it, like what it was. Oh, okay, yeah. Like it, there's so many of those in here. Gang of Four is something I've tried and uh -huh. I, I never got back into it. Um, other like 80s underground, like acclaimed artists I have still been meaning to try to get into. Uh, Husker Du, Minutemen, Black Flag, Bad Brains Fugazi. I listed Husker Du twice. So I, I listened to Zen Arcade yeah. by Husker Du and uh, didn't love it. Really? Yeah. That's a bummer. Couldn't couldn't really latch on much. Um, I Again, it wasn't that I was like, this is bad. I was like, oh, I know what this is about. And like, I just don't love this. Like, I... I he like invented what it is. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just like I'm not that interested in that. You know who's another is Dinosaur Jr. Yeah. I feel like I should like Dinosaur right. Jr. Right. But I, I don't like I, I'm so into their image and the way they look and the way I imagine they sound. I'm just afraid to be let down. Right. Another example of that is like is my bloody Valentine isn't anything. Yeah, I haven't listened to that either. I have, and I've listened like twice, maybe three times. Honestly. Yeah, like right, I don't get that into right. it. Loveless yeah, is amazing. To be honest with you, that's how I kind of feel about my bloody Valentine in general. Well, this is great, but I'm always when I go back and listen now, I'm like, oh, Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's fair. But like, I'm like oh, like dr heavy dream pop that has come after. You know? Yeah, I. I mean, I think Loveless. Is fucking incredible. It dude. is. I love it still. It's great. It's just not. It's it's one of those albums that I appreciate more for what it is than like being something I'm gonna like love on an emotional level. I understand that. There's a lot of albums like that. Like yeah. on that list. Yeah. Like Joy Division's an example. Yes. Loveless, not so much for me anymore. Um, so Jake, let's get into what our top ten '80s albums. Yeah, actually, are here. Yeah, um, I cobbled mine together pretty fast. So the okay. order, I, I I thought about mine for a decent amount of time. Okay, uh, I'll start and I'll go down from the top. I had two honorable mentions here that didn't make my list. One was Graceland by Paul Simon. The other was Combat Rock by The Clash, uh, considered one of their weakest. But actually, Combat Rock is easier to listen to than Sandinista. Now, does Combat Combat Rock has Straight to Hell, right? Straight to Hell. It has Rock the Casbah. It, it has Should I Stay or Should I Go? It has right. Ghetto Defendant. 
Janie Jones. Car, car no, jamming. No Jake, not Janie Jones. No, you're right. It's a great album. Yeah. Uh, so that was an honorable mention. At my number 10, though, Jake, I've Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, don't love this type of Bruce Springsteen as much as I love like Born to Run yeah. or Darkness on the Edge of Town, kind of late 70s, or even The River, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but it still makes it because you can't deny all of those singles. Now, Sean, let me ask you this. Do you want to go through your full list or do you want to trade Oh, let's entries? trade. Let's trade. Okay, so I'll go quick through the honorable mentions. I considered, these are just ones I considered putting on here. Back in Black by ACDC. Um, even though I don't love that whole album and like like half the songs. Right. Graceland by Paul Simon, Cloud Nine by George Harrison, Thriller by Michael Jackson, Sandinista. And, um, well, I'll say that part later. Uh, my number 10 is Remain in Light by Talking Heads. Okay. Um, I think that is actually an awesome example for me. It's like what you just described with Loveless, but for me, where I yeah. had a nice little run with it. The more I really listened to it, I was like, ooh, I don't totally love listening to this. Yeah. I don't love it as I, it's it's great. It's it's really really good, and you it's it's actually really like rewarding to get into. It is. I don't ever go back to I, it. That I, so that's interesting because I have remain in light at number eight on my list. Okay, and sort of feel the same, but I think I probably like it a little bit better. That's fair. As as noted by the difference in our rankings, Jake. <laughs> Two slots. Two spots. Yep. Yep. What's your number nine? My number nine is. Uh, this Harold Budd album that he worked on with Brian Eno, uh, The Pearl. It is one of the uh, considered one of the best ambient albums of all time. Um, it is one of my favorites. There's lots of piano involved here, Jake. Mm-hmm. On this one, I was looking for um, this was months and months ago. Uh, I was looking for just a, a good piano ambient album, and I reached out. To, to a couple of different people to ask, and this was recommended to me. And then Pitchfork actually put out their best ambient albums of all time. This was very high up on the list. Checked it out, and uh, it's one I always return to. It's an easy listen. It's very enjoyable. Uh, I would highly recommend if you have not. That's my number nine. Um, I So the, I, my note down here in the honorable mentions is that I love every Eno ambient album I've ever listened to. Yep. By nature of the kind of albums they are, right. I don't always remember which one's which. So all of like ambient one through four, I've definitely listened to the Pearl. I've been meaning to listen to Brian Eno and Robert Fripp, but that's mm. not on Spotify. Uh, yeah. What I have at number nine is Apollo. Um, yeah. It came out in 1983. Great. Great. The first track on it, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's unbelievable dude it sounds like space Mm -hmm. like space travel um and this album is awesome and it's just like honestly dude like i could probably pick either of these or any of them i mean i think a lot of those other ones are from the 70s technically yeah so apollo makes my list eno is someone who has grown that stuff has grown on me so much oh yeah it's great stuff um so my number eight i had talking heads remain in light uh jake i'll share my number seven though because it's the same as your number eight kate bush hounds of love Yep, I had that at number eight. Um, what a find that album was! You you yeah. actually turned me on to this album. Yeah, it's so good, and like, it's weird, super weird, but it's also incredibly poppy at the same time. Uh, I'm pretty sure like, running up that hill was a massive hit. Running up that hill is like a masterpiece, dude. It's so fucking that good, song, man. And then there's like that weird like sweet at the end. Yeah, honestly, dude, the album's crazy. It's been a bit since I've listened to this full album. When it I always into- surprises me like what it's all about when I listen. When to I it. got into it, I had a really nice little phase with it. 
honestly, dude, right now, without hearing any of the songs, it's it's making my list on the strength of running up that hill and the mm. fact that I remember how I felt. When we'll I listened we'll to listen to that after the show. We should. It's, we should. It's great. So that was my number seven. Your number eight, Jake. What's your number seven? Uh, at number seven. This is also on your list later. Uh, I have Murmur by REM. Mm. Uh, this is a big one for me in high school, uh, and it's it's like it's kind of. I think growing up with R.E.M. and knowing like Losing My Religion and Orange Crush and all that stuff, this was kind of cool to see like where they got their start Yeah, and how um, I think this is like sort of the epitome of like Michael Stipe, pure melody, kind of yeah. mumble lyrics, which is stuff that really resonates with me. Like it, it, it's sort of like, like some kind of the kind of music that really like works for me yeah. is, is not lyrically dense, but very melodic. Yeah. Um, it's a classic dude. Like what like R.E.M. is such a great band. And uh, yeah. it's my favorite REM album, and you're right, it is a little bit higher on my list. I've listened to Life's Rich Pageant a bit, I, but honestly, I've never got that into their later stuff. I just haven't tried. Uh, I've listened to like the like what's considered their best, um, like Automatic for the People's really good, yep. Out of Time, Murmur. Have you listened to like Monster and Green and stuff like uh, that? No, no, I haven't listened to those. Neither have I. Uh, my number six, Jake, is Tim by The Replacements. Uh, I have another Replacements album coming up later on in my list. Uh, but Tim is, you know, it's their it's their major label debut. Um, Packed to the Gills with the great songwriting. Uh, Bastards of Young. Um, Left of the Dials on here. Great album. Uh, you've listened to Tim, right, Jay? I've listened to Tim a handful of times. It has never quite sunk its teeth into okay. me, although I will say it, it's it's certainly really good, especially if you're in the mood for replacements type of thing. Definitely. Number six, for me, I have Paul's Boutique by Beastie Boys. I had a really nice run with this album, ooh, like two years ago or something like that. Um, it's, it's really, really cool, and for me... Beastie Boys are—they can be very hit or miss, and they can be too abrasive, and they can be kind of. I don't like them flat out. I know you don't don't like Beastie Boys. I know you don't. I think this album is is a classic, and I think it it deserves its reputation. Um, It has this cool sort of pastiche feel, um, where there's a lot of. It it feels like the album cover, which is a big thing for me. It feels like this sort of this street corner, very urban like kind of stuff going on. Like there, it's it's funny, and there's a lot of really cool. It's like that early example of like samples making songs like there's some yeah. big samples on this album um it's pretty long yeah. and there's, there's a lot going on with it um and I, I think it's like of the beastie boys stuff i've listened to it's by far the stuff that stuck with me the most gotcha so yeah i, yeah, I, I, I fair enough i fair stand enough. for this album okay okay uh my number five jake i have the pixies with Doolittle. um Ooh. not surfer rosa is this is that like an argument uh, between people is is that like considered a toss up, or is it that uh, Doolittle is is actually firmly the number one? I th- I think Doolittle is considered better. Okay. I think the like the, the the sort of hipster pick would be to take uh, Surfer Rosa. Surfer Rosa is not as listenable. It's not as consistent, and it's it, it is like awesome songs. I I don't think it holds together as well as an album as Doolittle like, does. Where's my mind is absolutely incredible. But yeah. there's songs on. Especially when I tried to get into it, when I was like, I tried getting into Surfer Rosa young, and it was like it was too much. Yeah, I couldn't handle right. it. Doolittle is on my list. I'll spoil it now. It's number two. Yeah. Um, I have been making some lifetime adjustments to my list, <laughs> uh, but it's at two. Uh, this is another one. Like I think with all of these, it's different than ranking like a year end thing. Because for me, it's just like I remember when I had a good solid 
like run with this album right and Doolittle it was like the spring of a couple years ago and I remember we were um, into we were playing flag football at the time yeah and I remember I was so fucking in on Debaser Debaser's amazing um, and just I would like I cranked that song like a few times on the way to a game yeah. a few times on the way out like yeah. that song is sick this whole album is very consistent and like there are some pop gems on oh this my God, here comes I your know. man yeah awesome um, Monkey Gone to Heaven Monkey Gone to Heaven is one of my favorite Pixie songs ever there um, goes my gun. Uh, hey you, is it hey you or you or hey? Just hey. hey. Yeah. Been trying like that song. Yeah. That song's awesome. Great, great album. Uh, um, here, I have I have one that might surprise listeners. Yeah. Here, number five. It, it really is just a, a sentimental pick for me. It's Pump by Aerosmith. I right. grew up as a huge Aerosmith fan. Um, their '70s stuff is really what's considered best by them. Uh, I think this album gets sort of overlooked for the reasons that it was there were a lot of pop hits on it and it's when Aerosmith started to be like sort of sellouts. This what album, are some of the songs this on This album here? has Janie's Got a Gun. Good song. Love in an Elevator. Good song. The Other Side. Okay. I don't know if you've heard that one. It also has, hold on, I'm forgetting one. Let me really quickly look. It has... Um, don't Want to Miss a Thing. What It Takes, which is a radio hit too. Okay. Tell me what it takes to let you go. You probably heard that one. Okay. Um, and honestly, dude, like it's... It's a lean track list. There's, I think there's yeah. like 10 songs. Young Lust is a great song. F.I.N.E. Fine is a great song. It's it's all over the top, and it's all entering that era of like later Steven Tyler being like, I'm going to hyper-sexualize right. the fuck out of everything. Right. Um, as like kind of an edgy thing. Yeah. Uh, I think this album is like... I, I think in its era, it was kind of a low-key like radio hit classic because they, they yeah. pumped out a lot of big hits. Yeah. Um, and they still had it. Like I, I considered putting Permanent Vacation, which is their 1987 entry. Wow, uh, it's not near as good. <laughs> I, I <laughs> doubt it very much. It's it's not near as good. Although although it does have Ragdoll, Dude so looks, it would make your honorable mentions. Dude looks like a lady and okay. uh, Angel. Okay, which wow, are like wow. you know I think a, a step Heavy below those other ones. Uh, my number four, Jake, is The Clash with Sandinista. Um, so this one is 36 songs, mm. two and a half hours, Yep. not an easy brief listen. No. I benefited from getting into this pre Spotify, pre streaming era where I was still in high school and getting one CD meant you listened to that CD for like an entire month. Um, and I ended up just spinning Sandinista over and over and over again in my Chevy Lumina. Uh, and got way, way into it. And songs that I definitely wouldn't have liked, I ended up liking. Um, and some of these ended up being my favorite Clash songs. Uh, and I have a lot of really good memories with this album. It's definitely too long. It needs to be cut down. I don't really care or have time for the dub remixes of the songs. I, if you got rid of those, I, fine. Um... Because they're just the songs, the actual songs they wrote for this, none of the dub remixes are all like awesome. They're great. And and Sandinista, I mentioned quickly in my honorable mentions, I it wouldn't feel right for me to rank it right. because I didn't get into it until like last year. I listened to the whole thing twice. Wow. Maybe three times. Still that's still impressive. And I, I got into I had a nice little clash run last year, if you remember. You did. I like finally had that. It was I was a late clash bloomer. What you need to do with this album and what I ended up doing is do that. Basically like listen through 
when you're in the mood to be able to do it, but then just pick out songs and go back to those songs. This is what I did, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did. I ended up having... It's funny, you, you know, if you look at an old playlist from like a, a very specific time, I had... And you're like, oh yeah. From last year, I had a... Like, I was running a 5K. I had a, a, a bunch of songs from Sandinista on there. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, I forgot I was like getting into the Clash then. And like, I had this big Sandinista run with like Police on My Back. And what's that one about heaven? Oh, uh, up in heaven. Up in heaven. Not is only an awesome here. Corner Soul is amazing. Um, the Magnificent Seven is cool. Yeah. So the thing about this album is, when you're in it and you're listening, even some of the dub stuff just gets like stuck in your head, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I want to hear this crazy fucking sound right now." That's sort of how I feel about the Clash. Yeah, general. yeah. Especially with this album. And but London Calling is an example like, too. A song like Crooked Beat is one that. I maybe wouldn't seek out at all at any other time, but when I'm in the midst of a Sandinista like phase, nothing sounds better than Crooked Beat. And I'm really like bopping to that song. Yeah. You know? And that's the beauty of this album, but that's also why it can't rank any higher than fourth. Is because like my next three I'll listen to at any time ever. I won't do that with Sandinista. Because it is like legitimately three hours. Yeah. Two and a half or something. Yes. Even even some of the songs I love on it, I don't want to listen to yeah. most of the time. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, my number four, I'll, we'll we'll save talking about it for when we get to it on your list. Yes. Uh, it's the replacements with Let It Be. Uh, definitely a classic um, that I just evidently don't like as much as Sean likes. Oh, yeah. I guess not. Where's yours? What's your number three? Uh, my number three is Murmur by R.E.M. Okay. Uh, that you had previously as your number seven. Uh, yeah, this was a big one for me in high school as well. Kind of got me into R.E.M. It, like I said, it's my favorite R.E.M. album. Um, I just think there's some really beautiful moments on here. Like the melodies that are achieved, I feel like are just the most consistent throughout the entire album. Um, and Perfect Circle is a legitimately like, beautiful song. Uh, so yeah, Murmur is my number three. Uh, my number three, I put um, Double Fantasy by John Lennon. Oh, yeah. Despite the fact that I never, ever listened to the half of the track list that is Yoko Ono. Um, Do you even, like, count that as part of the album then? For me, it may as well not be. Okay. It, like, um, it basically doesn't count. It, it, like, I tried. I listened a couple yeah. times with her, and I was like, you it's know what? It's kind of like how Sandinista, I'm like, I'm not going to really count the dub against it. This is the rare album where I've just decided to have my own relationship for what I want out of it and not for what I it think is. that is showing immense growth from you Jake because more than anybody I know you adhere yep. to listening to all the tracks of an album even if you don't like them I don't like to skip but I do and end up having different unique relationships with certain albums because I'm more open to skipping so John with this album Double Fantasy in my mind it's not a full length album that John and Yoko shared it is a uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven I think seven or eight song EP by John okay that is like by a track to a track pretty perfect just like starting over Beautiful Boy Watching the Wheels and Woman are all like classics Dear Yoko I'm Loving You and Clean Up Time are all awesome too they are like honestly like I didn't even expect to like the ones that aren't hits as much as I do. They're yeah. all awesome songs, and it was this like songwriting renaissance he had before he died, and it, it still like makes me really sad to think that he didn't get to continue to explore that. Now, Jake, if you were a writer at Pitchfork, yep, you would be rewriting canon to be like Double Fantasy deserves like 
its its place as great late John Lennon music. I think the unfortunate thing is like if if you're gonna put it on a list and you're gonna take it for what the album actually is, it is half Yoko songs. And like again, like I, I'm not a Yoko hater. I right. don't have really strong feelings about her. I'm not interested in her music. Yeah. Really at all. And so it doesn't do much for me. I wish they did side A and side B, but they didn't. They interspersed mm. songs. Yeah, I don't like that. So it's like I'm not doing that. Like it's that. like I'm gonna dude, seriously, sometime just listen to this playlist. I have double fantasy John songs. I will. It's very worth it. It's like yeah. half they're like, Oh, I think I have actually. They're like Be- when, when we were doing our huge Beatles thing, I I listened They're to like it. Beatles quality yeah. songs, a yeah. lot of them. Yeah. So they're they're really good, and that album has a special place in my heart. So um, um what do you have? My number two, Jake, is the Smiths. The Queen is Dead. Uh, despite Morrissey being a crazy person and yeah, kind of by all rights a bad person, this album is still so fucking good. Mm. 2015 was a big year for me in terms of getting into 80s stuff. That's when I got into The Replacements and uh, The Smiths all in one summer. And I was like, oh, these are amazing, amazing albums that I've never taken the time to listen to. Um to a track, this is pretty much unassailable, it I is. think. And so I'll spoil it. It's my number one. Yeah. Because my number two I've already talked about, which is Doolittle. Yeah. Uh, the Queen is Dead is my number one. I actually made a last-second amendment during the podcast just now that I moved Doolittle to two um, and to move this into number one. And I agree that like I'm not in on Morrissey anymore. I think he, he's kind of a dick. I have a weird kind of story like with this album. I bought it in high school. I bought it on CD. Listened to it once. Loved it. Immediately loved it. And I was like, I'm running that back immediately. Yeah. Listened a second time straight in a row, which I like never did then. Right. I was way more conservative about it and I like liked when albums would end. Yeah. Listened a second time straight through. Didn't listen again for I don't even know how long. Why? I don't know. I just like I all of a sudden like wasn't interested. That's so crazy. I think the second listen like something about it I was like oh like some of the glow wore off oh uh, okay and I was like I'm not as enamored gotcha so like, I don't want to listen anymore gotcha so then it took years for wow. me to get back into it and really appreciate the depth and like you yep. said Sean the, the song by song like pretty much perfection yeah. that is this album that's so funny like take it to a song dude like and, and, and there are ones that had to grow on me much later like the boy with the thorn in his side and there's a light that never goes out uh-huh. those are ones where like later down the line I was like oh fuck these songs are incredible really it took you until like well, I guess it's relative because I got into this basically because the only song I knew was There's a Light That Never Goes yeah, Out. Yeah, I didn't know. So I didn't realize that There Was a Light That Never Goes Out was considered this like classic yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just listened to it for what it was. And the, okay. ones that, the one that really stuck out to me at the time was Big Mouth Strikes Again. Yeah, um, Cemetery Gates is always one for so me. So good, that, dude. Like, yeah, the ones where and like honestly, dude, even frankly, Mr. Shankly has grown great. Me so much. Yeah. And, the, and like I used to think like that one's stupid, right? Like that one no, is like it's goofy. great. It's really funny and really catchy. Some girls are bigger than others. Is awesome. Yep. Uh, I know you're a little down on it. I love the opening track. I love the Queen is Dead. Yeah, I don't think I love it as much as uh, as some do. Right. Um, but <laughs> some with a with you know, definitely, definitely great. Yeah, uh, this is a it's a it's just a straight up classic, man. I mean, all say all you want about Morrissey, and it's all true. And like, I think he's an asshole. Yeah, like, dude, this album is so good. And I'm not even that huge of a Smiths fan, other than this album. Yeah, man. Like, I haven't listened to those others very much. I or at all. Uh, I don't love them as much either. It's 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 a Queen. It's the Queen is dead, and then a big drop off, and then they're self titled. And then a handful of songs from like Hatful of Hollow and, yeah. and some other 
releases. They're weird though, because like the Queen is Dead really feels like the only time they like went for it yep. on an album. For an album. And then they're like, we're just gonna have a collection of great songs otherwise. Like that are gonna be gonna sound good on a playlist or like the greatest hits, but not like as an album. You know what I'm just realizing, man, that I didn't for some reason put on this list, but probably should have been on my list. And I wonder if it would have been in yours or in your honorable mentions. Disintegration, dude. Uh, I thought about it um, I, like, and saw it, and I was if it was gonna make anything, it would make my honorable mentions. I had a run with that album where yeah. I really liked it, and I went back recently. I was like, I'm pretty bored. Really? Yeah. I, I, I was like, I get it. Like, I gotta say, man, like it, it would. It, so it's definitely in my honorable mentions without yeah. a doubt. Might have edged out number ten. It, okay. like, I might have yeah. had a better run with it than I did with Remain in Light. Um, let me while round out the list here. Uh, you had The Queen Is Dead at number one on your list. I had The Replacements with Let It Be on on my list, which we didn't uh, talk about that much yet. We talked about Tim. No, yeah. So I, I think this is like perfect replacements. It takes like the grit of their early albums and it mixes it with the kind of bigger pop melodies that would come. Um, so, you know, and, and I think a song like Androgynous, which is my favorite one on here, is like incredibly prescient and like weirdly accepting for like the time and place and this band, I guess. So I always, I think that that is a song that is aged well and as a result, like, this album has aged really well. I also love the Black Diamond Kiss cover. Yes, dude, um, yeah. Unsatisfied is great. Answering uh, Machine is cool. Answering Machine is very cool because, like, we don't use Answering Machines anymore. No. And he's talking, he's singing on this song with such, like, passion and emotion, and that's not something a lot of people can relate to anymore. But it's sung with so much emotion it gets its point across you know, all the same. You know what's one that's always done a, a shit ton for me is We're Coming Out. Oh my God, yeah. I same. love that song. Same. And I, I love it for the change it has where it goes from that fast intro yes. to that like kind of like echoey sort of mood yep. second part of it. That this album is really amazing. Great. I Will Dare is great too. So the, good, the How Young Are You, How Old Am I part. Dude, that riff is incredible. It is. We got to add this to the the albums that we listen to, along with Hounds of Love. I'm now in the mood to listen to this. Hell yeah. Yeah, we'll do it. Uh, Yeah, so I think, Jake, we've rounded out a pretty good top 10 for each of us. We definitely have more work to do with the 80s. It's always been an uphill battle. It has, man. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, so Jake, you had to convince me here. I do, and this episode's running long, so I'll try to keep it quick. Um, I don't know, Sean, if this is really a convince you as okay. much as I think okay. it might be a convince some people who are listening, if anyone's listening. Um, this, so I was at um, the airport diner here in Manchester the other day, uh, and the song "Have You Seen Your Mother, Baby, Standing in the Shadow." You know this song, oh right? yeah, by the Rolling Stones came out. And it's from that 1966-1967 era of like them trying psychedelic stuff. And I realized, I was like, oh shit, I love this song. I forgot about this song. Like It's not one that I remembered. And it made me think, like they have kind of a deep well of these sort of like little bit experimental mm-hmm. tracks. So my convince me is the following. The Rolling Stone psychedelic era from 66 to 67 is worth revisiting. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's worth checking out for people who don't take it seriously. Here's like the, th- it's, the rule is we have three points, right? Yes. My three points are as follows. One, there's Satanic Majesty's Request, um, which is the like kind of classic example of a yeah. flub album. 
it, it sort of the album cover was a clear ripoff of Sgt. Pepper. Right. It was the Stones trying to cash in on psychedelia. It's not that bad, man. I listened um, a couple weeks ago for like maybe the third time ever. Mm-hmm. Citadel is a great song. She's a Rainbow is really cool. 2000 Light Years from Home mm. is awesome and spurred a reference from Alex Turner. Um, it's just a cool album and it's kind of cool as like this time capsule to hear the Stones trying this shit. Like there's a song on here that was written by Bill Wyman, which they never did. I guess it was this album was made when they all of them were like in and out of jail on drug charges. Jesus. And like there's, you know, recordings of band members snoring on it. It's weird. Yeah. It's like they they actually really went for it. And like whether they hit they like sort of hit a home run on all of those or not, and they decided they didn't, is actually really interesting. And the album's mm. not as bad as people say. Um, it's at least interesting though. The second thing is I listened to Between the Buttons, which is the other album that came out in 67 by them. Um, and I forgot, I kind of forget if I've listened before or not. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good, man. There's a lot of cool stuff yeah. on it. Um, one thing that's annoying though is they do what the Beatles did in the early, early days where they have an American and a UK release. Right. Oh, I fucking hate that. Sort of frustrating. Um, and Aftermath from 1966 has painted black on it. I think depending on which oh, version yeah. you listen to again. Um, so they have some like good albums. I would check out Between the Buttons and like in I don't know if you've listened to that one. Um, no. Or or listeners if it's being directed at them. Uh, my second point. Listen to just this list of songs, man. She's a Rainbow. Have you seen your mother, baby, standing in the shadow? Ruby Tuesday. Nineteenth Nervous Breakdown. Paint It Black. Mother's Little Helper. And then like some of these other ones that I've recently realized I like with these re-listens. Lady Jane. Something happened to me yesterday, which is a cool. Like kind of quirky song at the end of Between the Buttons. It's this mm. sort of like almost sing-along thing where Keith Richards takes the chorus, like sings the chorus. Yeah. It's them like singing over strummed acoustic guitars with like like a full brass band going yeah. on. It's cool. I think it's, it's actually loosely supposed to be about LSD. Mm. Um, and uh, like a song like Yesterday's Papers. And then even some of the less trippy songs they did around that era. Let's Spend the Night Together, Under My Thumb. Love Under My Thumb. Those are great songs, yeah, man. They're like those are great. They're classic stones. And like I realized like these songs here that I just mentioned, I've always loved all of those. And I always felt like, damn, like they didn't explore that a lot, right. that side of them. My third point is like, Sort of what get, the, the thing that gets brought up a lot by detractors is like the Stones ripped off the Beatles. They were just trying to cash in. It's like, did they rip them off? Sort of they did. But I think the Stones have their own spin on psychedelic music and on like experimentation that is interesting for a couple reasons. It's definitely a time capsule. It shows this band that was way more out of their comfort zone than the Beatles were. Yeah. And then a lot of these bands, even The Who or like certainly Jefferson Airplane or one of those in doing this kind of stuff. And to me, the fact that they don't do it like as flawlessly or sort of as completely, like the Beatles sort of are psychedelic music. Like yeah. not really, like there's a ton of other stuff out there, but like you th- you listen to Sgt. Pepper or Revolver or like Magical Mystery Tour and you're like, yep, that defined yeah. and like set the fucking bar for right. what this music is. The Stones didn't do it as well. But it's actually really cool and interesting to hear their take on it, given that it is so far out of their comfort zone, and knowing that like they still had their best yet to come. Like the Stones took yeah. basically a full decade to kind of find their sea legs. That's true. And and make the albums that were going to define them as point. as like makers of full length albums because they made a ton of hits. Right. But That's a great point. And I and I think um, that number two point you have with all of those tracks, 
that's all from this two-year period, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And honestly, if they were just like, let's take all these and make that an album, that's like among their best. I mean, yeah, That's like probably their best album. It's It's so good, dude. And like, it it, it gets overlooked because what the Stones are so famous for and what they did so well was the gritty, bluesy, rootsy, late 60s to early 70s run, which is, I mean, it's better. It's definitely better. But also like, if you're in the mood for... This stuff. There's like, something to be said about songs like "Painted Black" and e- "Dude Under My Thumb" is so one of my favorite Stone songs. Lately, songs like uh, "She's a Rainbow" and "Mother's yeah. Little Helper" and "19th Nervous Breakdown" have been absolutely killing it for me. Yeah. "She's a Rainbow," like when they get to later and he's doing like the "Have You Seen Her Dressed in Gold?" Yeah, and the whole yeah, band comes yeah, in yeah. Under that like Damn. cool sort of like little like Mellotron thing yep. or whatever they're playing. Yep. So anywho, it's crazy. The convince me this week is like people should check out mid sixties like yeah. Stones. Well, you've convinced me, Jake. All right, uh, let's wrap up here with a show and tell. Uh, Jake and I, among with along with a, a couple other friends, went to go see Interpol uh, yeah. in Boston. This is in support of their new album, Marauder. 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just like I, I like. Messing with the pronunciations of Marauder. Marauder. Yeah. Uh, and Sunflower Bean open, Jake. So a uh, few points for me. I was really pleasantly surprised by Sunflower Bean. I had never listened to them until they, we went. They were quite good live, dude. And that guitar player was Dude, so yeah, that my favorite part. I was like entranced by their guitar player. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having a few thoughts about, about guitar and like live guitar now before we get into Interpol. So really flashy, like, guitar hero stuff, I feel like doesn't really happen anymore. Or we don't ever see it at, like, shows that we go to. There's no, like, over-the-top kind of I'm going to shred. It's way more subdued. It's way more just, like, relaxed. It's like, oh, I'm a little embarrassed I'm even playing guitar. Um, And I also feel like great guitar players are kind of a dime a dozen now. It's like there's so many fucking people. So many fucking people play guitar. It's like you can be amazing and like not make any money. Yeah, I I felt like what was interesting about this dude was he did stand out. He was like had a command of the instrument and like yeah, he was a really good player and he was doing interesting things. The what I I had never listened to Sunflower Bean. I noticed that you listened to their album I did. this week. I um, some good songs. What I thought was cool is that to me they kind of sounded like if you mashed '80s female singer-led punk with like with sort of like '60s psychedelic trippy. Like guitar music slash also like you were mentioning bands like Dive and Wild Nothing. Like this sort of like the really dreamy guitars going that on. That is an accurate assessment yeah. of uh, of what they're all about. Um, and I was just going to say here about guitar solos. I feel like instead of like really flashy solos on stage, it feels like a well-timed pedal stomp, Jake, is like the, the, ne- the next generation of flex from these guitar players because they're like... I'm a fucking nerd. I have this whole pedal system that is like customized for just me. And I do all these fucking loops and like crazy sounds. And I know exactly what I'm doing. That's like the new guitar hero flex is a a pedal stomp to some other cool sound rather than your technical chops. Because now these guitar players actually need to be like fucking songwriters as well. And be able to like write melodies and have their guitar match up with all of that. And you know, it's... And it's just, changed. The game has changed. It, ha- it has. And like setting up a really good pedal board is, is a pain in the I ass. I can't even imagine. It's so much work. Yeah. I like looked into setting up a pedal oh. board. And you have to take all the pedals, 
and daisy chain them yeah. together with like little these tiny little basically plugs that yeah. go into the guitar but they're smaller and you just have to link them and like you have to look into getting velcro to keep Whoa. them all on there and wow. find a power source that's wild it's a pain in the ass and yeah, yeah. so you're right it is it's a whole other it's like a whole skill. it's a whole thing let me ask you this yeah. oh do you have more points i just have the last point they they sunflower bean for an opener had really good lighting and some like psychedelic moments from that lighting that i thought was really good and something that was a surprising for an opener and b something that you kind of miss like even with headliners sometimes like lighting can really matter and i was like wow this is a really good presentation by your band and they like kind of won over a new fan in me and i think they kind of won over the room too I think they did too, and I was I was thinking about them and the idea of openers afterward, and I had the thought that like being an opener for a band and like playing an opening set is like a job interview. It is every single night with new people, yeah. And you have to like you're basically like all right, like maybe not many people are listening, people are buying beers, people are talking, maybe ten people hear this, check us out on Spotify, that's, hey, that's, listen to an album, come to a show. That's how you do it, man. That's the grind right there. And it's like you're basically you're trying to convince them because like the energy they put out was great. It was. Some they, openers don't do they it. They had a confidence about them though that I think lots of openers don't have. I think they knew they're like, we're good enough to play this room on our own. Yeah. And we just happened to be here with Interpol to support them. And I think they went out there and they like kind of killed it. They did. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I thought Interpol was was very good. I Me thought too. for a band who has been doing it now for almost two decades and who just put out uh, a new album, I, you know, I thought this was good. I thought it was a really good show. Yeah. I So for me, Inter, Interpol is a band where like I've listened to Turn on the Bright Lights. I've listened to Antics. I listened to the most recent album. I'd never have listened to El Pintor. Our Love to Admire, or the self-titled. Mm -hmm. So I went in knowing the hits and like having listened to their classic albums a handful of times. I really and I I really like Interpol as like a singles band, and I liked those albums pretty well. Um, you know, I, I thought again they put on a great show. What was most interesting to me was the fact that we went with friends who love them, who like them more than us, and way, it was like way yeah, more. Yeah. They're huge yeah. fans, and like that was actually really cool to see. And it was interesting because we were we were sitting in the order that I think we were probably excited to be there for. You had that thought too, yes, dude. Yes, so I was like, oh, I. this is interesting. Yeah, yeah, we yep. did. Yep. Spencer was right near the middle, then Bill. You could put them at tied. Yeah, that's. I was like, it's a clear drop off. With these last two, with right. us, yeah, like it was yeah. still good, and like it makes sense. Like you've listened more than I have, yeah, right. And and so the whole reason I went is because it was cool to get to go to an Interpol show with people who love them, right. Uh, it was cool to get to see this kind of legacy band that defined a sound and a scene in the early two thousands. Just in like, look. I, I just go, we go to a lot of shows. Like, yeah. I'll just go. Like, right. I'll do, yeah. yeah, I'll go see Interpol. Like, they'll probably sound great. Sure. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll really like a handful of the songs. My issues were I didn't know, again, some of those middle albums that I haven't checked out. Yeah. Songs from there, I was like, yeah, this just sounds like the other one that I didn't know. And it's tough at a, at a concert when a few of those string together yes to like remain engaged and when it's like really hot in your seat and you're like I want to 
not be here anymore. There's also a cynicism that creeps into like when you don't know the band and you start hearing song after song you don't know, so you don't love them yet. Yes, yes. And you yes. see the crowd losing their yeah, mind. Yeah, I know. And you're like, yeah. Losing their mind and like the band hamming it up. Yes. It's always funny to me when I don't know the songs and that's the case because I'm like, yeah. it comes across so false, but it's like to these people it really matters. And I've been right. in their shoes before too with other bands. Well, two things. One, you know, we didn't know those Sunflower Bean songs and were won over by them. That's true. I didn't know these Interpol songs. I was not won over by them at all. It's <laughs> an interesting and point. I, I, I think I mentioned to you during during the show, towards the end, I was like, you know what sucks? Like, this sounds really good. And, like, Interpol were great. But, like, they they're, the consistency of their songs yeah. does not hold up. Like... Obstacle One tone. and Evil and songs like that are so much better oh, I see what you mean. than even like the next tier down. The next tier down, you know? Yeah. And it's like that is what's too bad. And the room, it was clear that especially those newer songs, they were not resonating as much. And there was a definite low energy when those were playing. Almost like people were like, all right will politely listen to you play this one yeah. so we can hear the ones we actually love. Right, exactly. And that's it had that feel in the best concerts I've been to never once have that feel. Right. And well, it, it does help to know all the material because it felt like some that's people true. who knew it were lit, like yes. having a time yeah. of their life. And that's the thing. Like this is from the perspective of somebody who, yeah. who doesn't know. Um, that being said, fine. like, I still have a lot of respect for Interpol. I always, I think they're a really cool band from a cool era. Cool, they, they're an important band. Definitely. And so like, it was worth seeing. Yeah. But even if there were moments where I was like to not totally engaged, right. I still like really enjoyed hearing them it, yes. play like their biggest songs. Yes, it was it was very cool to get to see them. Um, and I can say I saw Interpol now. So right, exactly. That, so that 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 that's great. Uh, quick release radar, Jake, and then we'll sign off. Uh, that, this is actually for today, September fourteenth. Yeah. I, I actually to a couple of these. listened to. A couple of them as well. I listened to three of these. Uh, I listened to the new No Name record, Room really 25. Good. Have not got around to the Aphex Twin Collapse EP yet. I listened to that one. Okay. I, I really enjoyed um, that EP. Uh, I listened to Dirty Mill Master Volume twice. I actually really like that really? album. Really? I, yeah. I haven't listened to that at all. I like that album. And then this new Low album, Double Negative. What's that one all about? Low is an uh, like sort of iconic early to mid-90s slowcore band. Oh, okay. So th this reminds me of, um, what's the name of that band? Uh, they have that album, um, Suvlaki. What's that band called? Slow Dive. Slow Dive. This reminds me of like Slow Dive oh. putting their album out last year. Oh, okay. I listened to this today for the first time. Really liked it. Really? I really liked it. Damn. And, and low, what I remember from them, weirdly enough, is that um, on Pitchfork's list of best Christmas songs, they had their version of the little drummer boy on there. <laughs> and so like I kind of got into low a little bit wow. through those like Christmas yeah. covers. And so when I saw this, I was like, I already know like what their sounds about. Right. I'm definitely gonna check this out. I'm it's gonna, worth it. I'm gonna have to give that a listen. Yeah, you'll yeah. like it. All I right. think you will. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so yeah, packed episode. We will be back to talk about some of those albums and more next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. little something i don't know if you have anything pre-show i do okay i um i think a running theme sean of of the pre-show podcast is my my dental yeah. experiences i feel yeah. like i've brought them up many times i think we both have yeah. I've, i i have a, a a weird one today so i last time they took 
X, they were looking at my x-rays and they're thinking, hmm, like, how can we make a buck off this mm, guy? Mm-hmm. They're like, hmm, you know, Jake, in looking at your x-rays, one of your front teeth, one of the roots, they usually the roots and teeth go straight. They're like, you have one that, like, there's kind of a, like a, a shepherd's hook type of thing. It has, like, a little, it, it's a squiggly line. Like, that's irregular. Like, we just want to, we'll, we're going to talk to our oral surgeon, our partner oral surgeon, and get a, get a like, a recommendation on how to proceed. <laughs> Do some exploratory surgery on it's your like, mouth. Uh, oh, my God. I was like, all right, fuck. Like, so we set up an appointment with still my dentist. Yeah. Not the oral surgeon, because the oral surgeon told them, like, take another x-ray, like, run some tests. I didn't know what the tests were. Mm. So I went in today for that appointment. Um, the So they took another x-ray. This was at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Friday. So mm. like way to a good way to ruin a Friday morning. God. So I go in, they take a couple x-rays. That's fine. It goes really quick because they're just doing these two teeth. It's yeah. this one here, the okay. front okay. left tooth for me. Um, and then they were like, all right, so we're going to run a couple of tests. And I was like, okay, what are these? And she's like, so she pulls out this implement, this like, kind of like, I don't like this. looks a lot like this. And oh. um, there's like a metal tip to it. Yeah. And she put like, it tasted like toothpaste, some kind of cream on it. Mm. And she's like, all right, so I'm going to put this on one of your normal teeth, and you're going to feel like a slight shock. And, Fuck this. And she's like, so just tell me when you feel it. And I was like, this is so weird. And so they they start it, and she's like, she has this thing on my tooth, and like starts turning a dial, and like slowly but surely I feel it. And it's like, have you ever felt like a, a, like a zap up your tooth? Like a yeah. like the feeling of like, yeah. kind of like chewing foil or something? Yes, I don't like that. It starts doing that a little bit. But very minimally. It didn't hurt, but it still was like uncomfortable. I was like, all right, let's make this quick. I don't like that at so all. So they did it to one. I was like, okay, there. And she's like, okay, that's a two. That like log that away. I was like, all right, okay, okay. Like, and I'm starting to feel the pressure because I want my weird tooth to be normal. Yeah. She's like, okay, that's a two. That's normal. Nice and normal. Goes to my this tooth. Yeah. Two, nice and normal. Yeah. Goes to the odd tooth. It was a three. Nothing came of it, though. She was okay. like, this is fine. Okay. But it was an odd experience. And I asked the dental hygienist, like the, 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 the what do you, what's the, is the hygienist? Yeah. 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 Her, um, basically the equivalent of the nurse practitioner right. for a dentist. Right. And I was like, so do you guys do that one often? She's like, you know, I've been, I've been like Dr. Blank's assistant for 14 years. She's like, it's the first time I've ever done it. Whoa. I was like, oh, it was a first for all of us. Usually, Sean, I try to pepper in a couple like lighthearted jokes sure, for them. Sure, yeah. They weren't having it first no, thing. Oh, well, it's early. They weren't having it first didn't thing Didn't have in a the coffee morning. yet. This lady didn't have patience for me either, dude. Because really? like, So we went from the room they brought me to. She clearly didn't know what I had come for. She's like, so you went and saw Dr. Blank at the oh. at the, the surgeons? I was like, no, I didn't. I came here for like a referral. And she was like, so what are we doing today? I was like, oh, that's not. That's like, not. You don't know? I was like, I came for like an x-ray and tests, I thought. Right. Oh, that's not instilling any confidence. No. Oh, and she walked away for like fucking eight minutes. Dude, what? Comes back. She's like, we're going to the next room for some x-rays. We go to the literally the next room. And then she's like, all right, down the hall to the to the next room over for the tests. And I was like, all right, like Whoa. which way? And she's like, back this way to the right. I didn't know what tests they were running. So there was like another door in the office we had gone to where I thought there were like other x-rays. So I turned toward that. And she just kind of in an aggravated way goes, no, like. Hey, how the fuck am I supposed to know? Like, I'm a little groggy, man. I'm yeah. kind of tired. I just woke up too. And I'm scared. I am. I'm freaked out. Um, and so, I mean, everything went fine. But it yeah. was like, I, I 100% expected to go in and have them be like, ooh, ooh, a three? 
Ooh, like you might have to have the fucking tooth removing. You have to have root canal oh surgery. My God. You have yeah, to have all kinds dude. of operations. That shit is so terrifying. I, you know, I had that that cavity filled. What was it like a month and a half ago? Yeah, month, yeah. month and a half ago at this point. It's still sensitive to yeah. like to like temperature and when I bite the wrong way sometimes. Like right. I'm getting a little nervous. It's like I feel like it shouldn't be sensitive like a month and a half after. Dude, did uh, this guy like fuck up? Did he like drill too far and like hit a nerve? One thing that really I don't know. scares me is the idea of like losing a cavity, like having it pop out, yeah. which has happened to big friend of the pod Kevin, and it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like excruciatingly painful. Dude, that shit really fucking scares me. Me too. We need to figure teeth out better than what we have. We, we should, should all just get like dentures from the time we're born. Right, from the jump. From, Seriously. from the starting line. Seriously. Because it's like these are bones, man. It's fucked up. Like the fact that like when I take a one of those mason jars you have right there yeah. with water, sometimes I'll take a sip and not be careful enough and it'll hit my front yeah. tooth. And I'm like, oh, oh shit, like what right. Because I'm just going right. for a full sip. Like I'm right. coming in full swing. And if I hit my tooth, I'm I, I've luckily knock on I don't do knock on wood anymore, actually, because I think I kinda like gave myself OCD with that yes, shit. Yes. So I yes. won't do it. But right. knock on wood in a figurative sense, um, that I never break a tooth, but I have never broken a tooth. Uh, I don't even want to begin to think how much that would hurt. Um, have you had the, the losing teeth nightmare? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I have now too. It sucks. I've had it more than once. When I first heard about it, I thought like that, I was like, who has that dream? That's really weird. And I yeah. thought it's super common. It is very, uh, yeah. D- dentist stuff scares me. Uh, you know what else is scary, Jake? And this this was my thing was the state did, of the world and country. Did you? Well, yeah, but dude, more specifically, did you hear about these fucking explosions in, in Massachusetts? Mass, yeah, dude. Yes. Like so many buildings and houses just like on fire and blowing up. Did people die? One person died. One person died. Others were injured. Dude, the first thing I thought of, I was like, what? Like terrorists attack is this like i was like oh they just picked like 70 buildings to do small explosions at just to fuck with people and dude it might be yeah it could be and And they might just be like oh let's cover it up and the preservationalist in me like the the keep myself safe version of me was like well that's not that far from here right what if they just keep going right like what if we start seeing like now there's been some in nashua and lawrence dude yeah i know oh okay like are they moving north like what the fuck's (laughs) happening is this some like Terrorist group, I like did, I started, cell I in the think, Northeast. I started thinking, I was like, "Well, I'm on the second floor. Like, maybe I'll be okay." Right, man. Maybe I won't be able to escape. That's also true. And so that was just my first thought. I was like, "I don't buy this gas leak thing for a second. I was like, "This is what false flag is this? Like, how can we like strip people's rights more? Right? So, you know, like false what's gonna flag. what's gonna come of this so we can strip people's rights? <laughs> it could have been, dude. Speaking of leaking on the second floor today." So Mary Kate, we have we have like a port, you you know, but the listeners don't. I have like a little deck in front of my apartment where we can hang out. Mary Kate has some plants hanging out there. Today she was trying to fix a plant and her foot went through one of our shitty just like found mm. on the side of the road chairs. Mm-hmm. She wasn't hurt or whatever, but so she was like, "We can we get rid of this chair?" And so I came outside and I was like, "You know, we could just drop it off the deck." And she was like, "Yeah, like we could do that. That's probably the easiest way." Yeah. And nothing bad happened, but it was it was just funny how it happened. I like reached, I took the chair by like the back of the chair and reached it as far out as I could. Yeah. Like straight, and I just dropped it. The chair landed perfectly on its feet and sunk like three inches into the dirt. Whoa, of the grass. that's went, so it funny. It just like went, 
and landed like straight up and down. We laughed for like a couple minutes. It was really funny to see it. Like uh, it's a decent fall. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, well, the only hope I have is it doesn't bounce up onto my neighbor's deck right, downstairs right. or like, break anything. Right. Realistically, probably shouldn't have done it. It was the wicker one. Yeah, yeah. the like little wicker yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I just dropped it, and it like stuck right in the grass. It was kind of cool. Wow. So you know, a little, actually pretty cool. It, it, yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't like I couldn't have done it again if I tried. Yeah. There's a, there's a pre-show for you. There's we, a pre-show. We went like we did all, all we sort of ran the gamut of yeah, different we topics. Did. We, we ran really did. false flag operations. Yep. Of two kinds. One being like, ooh, this false Dentists. concern with my teeth. Yep. Which I know they do. Oh my god, I know. Yeah. Because I, I reiterated several times, like at the appointment where they identified it and today I was like, if it's worth anything, I was like, it never bothers me. Right. My tooth feels healthy, like right. it looks healthy. Like nothing is wrong with it. And she's yeah. like, "Why?" And that's a factor. It's like, yeah, it's a factor. How about like you can probably push it a little bit more and just be like, "Look, like I don't think I need it." And you can you have to be a little bit of a dick. Yeah, but like you you can't get out of it. I considered it like yeah. I almost because I've been like so fucking busy with work. Yeah, I considered calling yesterday and being like, "Look, I, can I just cancel this outright?" Yeah, yeah. Because I put I actually rescheduled it twice. I, you sh- you maybe should have just canceled it. You're gonna be, be, it's gonna be fucking fine. It was a waste of time. Yeah, nothing came of it. She's yeah. like, we'll just keep an eye on it. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, we, what? Like, uh, if something hurts, like, yeah, I'm gonna do something about it. I don't just, need your fucking shock tool. If anything, that's gonna make it worse because you right. just like electrically shocked my fucking tooth. <laughs> don't do that. Right, right, right. Yeah, man, it was it was wild, and, and I know for a fact, like dentists, man. Like, I get so pissed because. Uh, when I'm, you're getting ready to leave, and they call in the big guns, they call in the dentist. The hygienist calls them in. And they're like, All right, well, we're gonna have uh, Doctor So and So take a look. Yeah. I'm like, oh, fingers fucking crossed. They don't find anything. I don't. Have to I come know. Yeah. Because if they find anything, you have to come back in like two weeks a month. You don't get the six month window. Uh, yeah. Oh my god, I know. Can I just say really one last thing? It is. It's actually like hilariously privileged thing to be bitching about this dental De- care dental like care. i have to go to the dentist too much preventative <laughs> dental care dude <laughs> and we're here complaining about it yeah man oh like I, all i've done is bitch about it it's like really helpful and that's yeah. the thought i had is like well you know obviously 99% chance they find nothing but like on the off chance that something is really wrong i was like i may as well fucking go yeah no it's you know true. what i mean like what if they're like oh yeah this is like like some bizarre this is tooth cancer yeah like you have tooth cancer like, Jake. Ah, okay you will well, die good thing we caught that you know uh, just yeah. like cut it out right uh all right you ready to dive in here yeah man i'm good all right here we go three two one 